y'all are excited about it at the movies. Come on, you excited? We are two weeks away, one Sunday away, two weeks away, and there's so many exciting things happening. In case you are visiting with us, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church, and one of the things we do every year is an at-the-movie series, and the whole focus is evangelistic. Our goal is to try to get people who wouldn't normally come into the doors of a church to be able to come in and experience God, experience the grace of God and the love of his people. And so we do a lot of cool things. We have free popcorn, free Cokes. There'll be characters here. We've got so many characters that are going to be present this year, uh, taking pictures with our kids and with you, if that's your thing. Uh, It's going to be a great time. And then what I'll do in the sermon is I'll take different movies and I'll, I'll preach from clips. So I'll preach a little bit and we'll go back to a movie clip. I, I did uh, share last week one of the movies, which is going to be our only cartoon movie of the, of the series, and it's Encanto. Y'all know that movie, Encanto, so that's going to be a good Sunday. Y'all want me to, want me to reveal one more? Yeah. Y'all want to know one more? <clears throat> All right, so, you know, in, 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 in the whole concept of small groups and, and fellowship, I, I figured we'd go back for a classic, and we just nailed down this week that one of the movies will be The Sandlot. You ready for The Sandlot? <clears throat> So uh, so there's two more, two more that I'm not going to share until the series comes. So it's going to be a great, great time. So look, when you leave today, a couple different things. One, there'll be people handing out these invite cards that you can take and take those and share them at your work, share them with your friends. They have a QR code on that'll send them to a website where they can register. There's a, they can register for giveaways and all kinds of fun stuff. We have a limited, a few limited posters that you could take and put up at your job or at the coffee shop that you go to or whatever it might be. So get that information so that you can let it, let, you know, let people know about it. I do want to give you two disclaimers about the series in August. Number one is this. <clears throat> because of copyright issues, we will not be able to stream the series. And so what I'll do is we'll set it up and let everybody know kind of classic sermons for those that are our online family. But this is the series that in order to see it, you got to be in the building to be able to see it. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Going along with that, I announced, well, on Easter, we went to two services, went to a 9 and 11, and then we carried that on into the summer. We took a break for the summer with the understanding that we would go back to two services uh, in starting August. I, I, I just want you to let you know I'm, I've made an executive decision that we're going to hold off on those two services, and we're going to start the month of August with the one. We're going to continue with the 9 o'clock. We have our overflow room now prepped and ready, and so our goal is to pack this place out, overflow room packed out before we bring into that 11 o'clock service. It's going to help not only mostly our dream team members get ready and build continual dream teams to be ready for that. We do know that two services is inevitable. We understand that. And so what we're trying to do is we're getting in a place where we are prepped for that. We will keep it at 9 o'clock so that the 11 will be in an easy uh, add-on when the time is there. And so again, uh, as we get into August, we're going we're gonna to remain with that 9 o'clock service, and we will go to 11 when it is necessary. Um, with all that being said, I do want to encourage you. You'll hear me talk more about this in the upcoming weeks. I was talking to Darla about this one day, and she said, you know what? Our, our dream teams do so well that it's easy for people to think in the seats that we don't need any help. And I'm just telling you that in every area of our ministry, from our worship team to our production team, our kids team, and our first impressions team, we need more leaders. And the reason we need that is because God is growing the church. Over the past couple weeks, we've had over 10 people from this area come and visit. And we've only been in this area for a couple of months. And so this will be our first fall 
to actually have a building and be in the Antioch area. So we're, expre- we're expecting to be able to really minister to a lot of families. And when you bring more families in, guess what? You need more Dream Team members. And so we just want to encourage you to do that. If you've been sitting in the seat and you've been thinking, man, they, they do great. They must have it all together. We don't have it all together. Uh, and so we wouldn't, we'd love to have you and your gift and your relationship and your talent on the team. So over the next couple of weeks, do that favor for us. In two weeks in August, we'll have Trat. You can knock that out and join the team. Uh, and be ready for all that God wants to do through Victory Church the rest of 2022. Amen? You excited to be at church this morning? All right, hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. You can do that with your paper Bible. You can do it on your phone. Uh, It will be on the screen behind me. We are coming to the end of a series called Flip Your Feelings, and we've been preaching through the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Uh, we, are, we are on our, our, I think, our ninth beatitude today. We'll finish it with our tenth beatitude next Sunday. Uh, and it's been a really powerful series. We've just kind of taken one beatitude every Sunday and really broken down uh, what, what it means and how it applies to us. And each one of these, I've tried to give us a few action steps at the end on how to make that applicable to your life. And we're going to do the same thing today. So let's start reading at Matthew 5, verse 1. We'll read through the beatitudes, and then we will get into our beatitude for today. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he teaches them these beatitudes. He starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about how the poor in spirit is letting go and letting God. He then said, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. And we talked about how Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we talked about the culture in us to get down so that others can be up and the concept that Jesus taught us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we talked about how to hunger for God and how to be righteous because we're righteous in Christ, not because of our actions. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. And we talked about the need to show mercy because we've been shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we talked about how to be pure in heart and how because we are pure in heart, we'll see God in everyday moments. And then today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And then lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk to you today just for a moment from this concept, puzzled and peaceful. Our ability to be both puzzled and peaceful at the same time. With everything that's happening in our culture, it seems like every day something new happens that could throw us off or confuse us or even bring anxiety or depression. And from what I understand about the Bible and what God tells us, that we can actually be in the current culture of our life and be puzzled by what's happening, but we can still be peaceful at the same time. Darla and I will occasionally go back to Memphis because her parents live there. My mom and sister officially moved here this weekend. Come on, we're excited about that. Uh, Darla and I did have to go up three flights of stairs a hundred times, and so y'all may see me give you a little giraffe, baby giraffe, during my sermon, but uh, we're excited about that. So we only have a few people left in Memphis that we go to visit. They'll be up here soon, and we'll have no reason to ever return. But when we go, uh, sorry. But when we go, we, it's kind of always a break for us. Our, our, her parents have a pool, and the kids swim, and there's just a moment. They don't have internet, so we can kind of disconnect from the world. And one day we got there, and my mother-in-law had this puzzle laid out on the table. 
And there wasn't a whole lot to do. It was, we, had, we had got there kind of late, but I was still awake from the drive. I think it was a Sunday, so I was kind of jazzed up on you and Jesus. And so, you know, we, I sat down and I started doing this puzzle, and I just became addicted to it. I don't know how to explain it, but it was so peaceful for me. It was like somehow it blocked out my normal, you know, concerns and worries. Ended up putting the entire puzzle together in like 24 hours. Like it was like a thousand piece puzzle and I was just putting it all together and I got done and I just, I just enjoyed it. It was peaceful. And so my mother-in-law and father-in-law saw that. And so every time we'd come to Memphis, my mother-in-law would have a brand new puzzle ready to go on the table for me. And so I'd open up the box and pour out the pieces and that'd be what I'd do that week. You know, you know whatever the situation might be, you'd catch me working on a puzzle. And then one weekend, we or one week, went there and I sat down in front of the puzzle, and it was a difficult puzzle. Like, it was one of those puzzles where there's a lot of greenery, a lot of trees, a lot of grass. And so I was struggling with doing it, and it went from being peaceful to being stressful. And so I quit working on it. And we were there for like five or six days, and I didn't work on it at all. And we got ready to leave, and my mother-in-law made a joke. And she said, you didn't even put the puzzle together. And I said, yes, because it was stressful. Like, it wasn't peaceful for me anymore. And, and that was a revelation for me to understand that when it came to this particular task, I was involved in it because it brought me peace. And the moment it brought me stress, I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And I want us to understand this, that God is a peacemaking God. This is how he operates. He makes peace. The, the whole history of redemption, ending in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is God's strategy to bring about a just and lasting peace between him and man and between man and his fellow man. So listen to me. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God provides both motivation and the method for peacemaking. As you read through the gospel of Jesus, there is both the motivation to be a peacemaker and the method on how to be a peacemaker. Now, I've taught you from day one in the series that when Jesus speaks the Beatitudes to the disciples, it is counter-cultural. Everything he says, he was flipping everything that they believed on its head. So as he was saying things, poor in spirit, merciful, meek, pure in heart, it, it, it was upside down to them. They didn't quite grasp it. And the concept of peacemaker was no different because when, when Jesus arrived and they started to believe that he was the Messiah, here's what they thought. They thought he was there to rescue them from their oppression. They were under the impression that he showed up with a sword to fight for them and that he was going to fight, defeat the enemy, get back to his dominance on the throne, and that they would be a part of his rule. That's what they understood. So when Jesus started performing miracles, they're like, not only do we have the guy that's going to win the battle, he's got all these special powers to do it. Like, it was like, you know, they thought they were a part of the Avengers. You know what I mean? They were going to, uh, at the movies too early, I'm sorry. But, but they were going to come in, and he was going to take over and defeat the enemy. And so when Jesus starts talking about merciful and meek and pure in heart, pure in spirit, poor in spirit, and then he gets to peacemaker, they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. We didn't think we were here to make peace. We thought we were here to, to make our stance clear. And what Jesus was going to show them, y'all, is that his mission wasn't to spend time arguing, wasn't to spend time fighting, wasn't to spend time negotiating conflicts 
or even establish his dominance. Jesus' mission was to build bridges for people to God by healing hearts. That was his mission. It wasn't to come in with the sword and chop off heads. It was to come in in a humble way and build a bridge for them to be able to get back to God. And so Jesus steps up, and he steps up and says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called, watch this, children of God. For those of you that have children, you're familiar with this, but when you have kids, it may not be immediately, but you'll start to see attributes of you kids. Like when our kids were first born, Darla was mad because the kids looked like me. And she was mad because she carried them for nine months, and yet they looked like me. I took a little bit of offense to it because they were bald, chubby, and they spit up on themselves. And she was like, they look like you. And I'm like, is that right? They look like me, do they? But then when they got pretty, you know, all of a sudden they look like her. You know what I mean? Fat, chubby, and, you know, bald, it's Troy. Pretty and blonde, skinny, it's Darla. I see what we're doing here. But when you have kids, you'll start to see it. You'll start, you know, they act like you. Veda is, she's always got her calendar and working through her schedule, which is like me. Casey Ray is an absolute maniac, which is like Darla. You know, it's just, there's just different things where you start to see the attributes. Working on my marriage up here, guys. And, and there's just attributes because your child will always take characteristics of you. And when we are children of God, when we are a child of God, we will have characteristics of our heavenly father. There are things about us that the more we walk in a relationship with God, the more we will be like God. We talked about this when it came to righteousness. You're not made righteous because of what you do. You're made righteous because of Christ. And the more you pursue Christ, the more you become like Christ. And so if our father is a peacemaker and we have the characteristics of our father, then over time we too will become peacemakers. So that's why Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be like the children of God. They'll be children of God. They'll be like their father, is what he's saying. We have everything inside of us that it takes to be peacemakers. The problem is that we often misunderstand the meaning of peace. It's not that we don't have the capability to make peace. We just aren't 100% sure of what we're making. We've been taught that peace is one thing. But when Christ says peace, he means something different. It's funny, anytime you talk to somebody and you start to kind of figure out their, their misconception of peace. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a friend of mine in the church one day, and we had just taken our kids on a family trip. We had gone somewhere, I don't really remember where it was, and we had come back, and it was like a month and a half, and now Darla and I were going on a trip by ourselves without the kids. And I mentioned that to the person. And here's what they said to me. They said, weren't you just on vacation? And I said, well, clearly you don't have children because here's how this works. And I'm about to set some of you free because I'm about to give some of you parents biblical theology to, found, to, to, to build your life on. And all of those of you that are praying for kids or about to have kids or want to have kids, I'm setting you up for the future. All right, you ready? Here's biblical theology. If you are on a trip with your spouse only, it's a vacation. I'm not done. If you are on a trip with your children, it is a family trip. All right? Don't get it twisted. If you're talking to me and I tell you I'm going out of town and my kids are coming, 
Don't expect me to come back rested. Don't expect me to come back peaceful. Don't expect me to come back happy. Don't expect me to come back. You know what I mean? Like when you bring them, and, and, and this is the reason Darla and I will go to the beach with our kids at one part of the year, and then we'll go to the beach without our kids another part of the year. Because one is for peacemaking, all right? Don't take that any way you shouldn't take it. It's just a good time, peaceful. The other one is about peacekeeping. We got to keep the peace. You know what I mean? I got friends who just went on a vacation without their kids, and they were texting me when on a vacation, and they are just, they are, they were like 17-year-olds again. They're spending time together. They're like, this is amazing. And I was like, I told you, leave the kids at home. Hire an Uber and send them somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, get rid of them because there's a difference. That's not peace. This is peace. Listen, there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. In our culture today, there is a difference in peacekeeping and being in peace. And I think sometimes this misunderstanding leads us to a place where we operate in something that we think should be peaceful. But when we come out of it, we're not at peace. And we think that peace is something we'll never be able to actually gain. But the reason is, is because we misunderstand peace altogether. And when Jesus says... You will be peacemakers. That peace that he's talking about is not, most of the time, not what we think he's talking about. Jesus was teaching us that we should see conflict, watch this, not as an opportunity to force our will, but as an opportunity to demonstrate God's love. When he talks about making peace, he was not talking about an opportunity for you to come in and force your belief system or force your will or force your stance. What he was saying is you now have an opportunity to come in and show somebody God's love. That's peacemaking. Being involved in an argument is peacekeeping. Sharing God's love is peacemaking. This is why when Jesus came on the scene, you could find him at lunch with tax collectors. Because he was making peace. He wasn't trying to argue their system. He was just showing them the, God, the love of God. And it transformed into peacemaking. When you find Jesus, you can find him hanging out with some of the most sinful people who were cast out of their places where they live. And here he is hanging out with them. When you look for Jesus, you'll find him washing the feet of people he knows are going to betray him. Because he was peacemaking. That word that we read, peace, when it's translated from its original context, it's translated from the word shalom. That, that word shalom means to be restored to wholeness. So when Jesus says peace, he doesn't mean peace. He means restoring something to wholeness, restoration. Here's the word I like. He means reconciliation. When he says peace, he means reconciliation. Because here's what real peacemaking is. Real peacemaking is reconciling people to God and reconciling people to each other. That, that's real peacemaking. So when Jesus says we're called or we're blessed to be peacemakers, he's saying we are blessed when our responsibility is to help reconcile people to Jesus. 
That's what we're supposed to, there's a, there's a verse I'm going to preach during at the movies that says that God had the ministry of reconciliation by sending Jesus so that we could be reconciled to him, and now we're given the ministry of reconciliation. So peacemaking is reconciliation, and anytime we can reconcile people to God, how was God a peacemaker? Because he reconciled us through Jesus. So when we reconcile people to God through Jesus, we are like God. Does that make sense? So when the Bible tells you to be a peacemaker, don't walk out of here with your head hung down going, I can't, I can't create peace in this chaotic world. That's not what he's asking you to do. This isn't a, a swimsuit competition where you have to come up at the end and give three reasons how to make world peace happen. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying commit your life to reconciling people to God. And when we do that, we make peace. When we show people the gospel, when we communicate grace and mercy and love of Jesus, when we walk into a situation and all we can talk about is the love of God and what God did through Jesus, you are a peacemaker. So I wanted to give you that for a moment. I wanted you to understand what it means to be a peacemaker, but I wanted to spend the meat of my sermon about this. It's, it's hard for you to be a peacemaker if you don't have peace, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, I said it's going to be really hard for you to show mercy if you haven't received mercy. In the same context, it's really hard for you to be a peacemaker if you don't have peace. And so I want to give you three steps this morning. If you're taking notes, please write this down. I got a pretty cool drawing I'm going to give you to draw in your notes at the end. So this is a great sermon for you to take notes. But I, I want to give you three ways real quick that you can have peace. Let me just make sure I'm, I'm communicating to the right audience for a second. Anybody in here need peace? Anybody in here need peace? All right, good. Just wanted to make sure that I wasn't in the wrong room. I can go talk to V-Kids if I need to <laughs> give Jenny a break. Number one is this. To, to be able to have peace, number one is we have to confront our problems. It's kind of a basic understanding, but I want to give it to you from a different view. We are being taught by our culture today that true peace is the absence of something. Peace is the absence of pain. Peace is the absence of our problems. Peace is the absence of anxiety. Peace is the, the absence of tension. We're being taught that in order to have true peace, that we have, to have, we have to no longer have those things. Once that is absent, I will have peace. But true peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. Okay? That's what true peace is. It's not you trying to get rid of your problem. It's God being with you in your problem. Let me give you some examples. Uh, David gets ready to fight Goliath, and he needs peace from God. God does not remove him from the battlefield. God meets him in it, right? When the disciples are on the boat, and the storm comes, and they need peace. God does not remove them from the boat. He comes and gets in the boat with them. He doesn't remove them. He's in it with them. When Joseph's in prison, because he's been falsely accused and he needs peace. God does not miraculously remove him from the prison. God is with him in the prison. Whether it's Moses, whether it's Ruth, whether it's Mary, whether no matter who it is, God's peace is him with them in their situation. What he's teaching us is this. God's idea of peace is not uh, setting us free or delivering us from our problems. It's God meeting us in our problems. Did you catch that? Culture is teaching you that you got to get away from your problem. And once your problem is gone, then you can have peace. But here's the problem. There's always another problem. Right? 
Like, like this is a problem and I mastered it. But guess what? I got a new problem. And the Bible tells us you're going to have problems until the day you die. Peace is not the absence of problems. If to you that's peace, you'll never be peaceful. But if peace is having God's presence with you in the middle of the problem, then you can be peaceful. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said it like this. He said, peace, I leave with you. I'm leaving my peace with you. My, my peace, I give you. But here's my favorite part. Watch this. I do not give to you as the world does. I, I don't give you the same peace that the world gives you. See, I, just, I need you to be able to wrap your mind around this for a second. When you are operating in your daily life, there is a concept of peace that culture is trying to relay to you. And Jesus is making it very clear in John chapter 14 that that's not the same kind of peace he gives you. It's a different kind of peace. I, I would almost tell you this, that in our culture today, we, we have peacemaking with peace faking. We, we are at this place where we would rather ignore the problem, avoid the conflict, than to actually face it and deal with it. And when we walk around ignoring and avoiding, we walk around with this sense of false peace. We, we pretend like we have peace, but in reality, we don't. And when you're in a relationship, or you're in a church, or you're in a job, and you, the only way you know how to approach peace is to avoid it, and so you leave the relationship, or you leave the job, or you leave the church, the next time you go to a relationship, the next time you go to a job, the next time you go to a church, it's the same problem. Because you didn't address the problem. You avoided it. It's not peacemaking, it's peace faking. I'll give you an example of this that was mind-blowing to me. I had a friend a few years ago I was really close to. We babysit each other's kids, all kinds. I mean, we were just really close. And something happened in the church, and he got offended. In this particular season where he was offended, y'all need to understand this, I was meeting with him personally for lunch once a month. So for six months, we had met together. Six months in a row, we had met six times for lunch. I would drive to where he would work, we'd grab lunch, and for 45 minutes or an hour, we would just spend some time together. And, and I, I promise you, every opportunity I had, I went, how you doing? How you doing? You good? You know, just kind of different things. And after, so that sixth meeting, it, it wasn't done. It was just happened to be that next month. I get an email from him, and the email said, hey, just want to let you know that me and my family are leaving the church, and da-da-da-da-da, um, thought I'd let you know, and if you want to meet, we can, but we don't have to. And I was so blown away by this, because first of all, we're close friends, so to send me an email is a little awkward, right? I don't think he had ever sent me an email in our entire friendship until right now. But more the concept that we had been together face-to-face -to -face for six months in a row. And, and what I'm learning about our culture is we don't like conflict. I'll give you one deeper. When we are offended or upset about something that we know isn't entirely true, and we know that if we confront it, the fact that we're wrong might be brought to our attention, instead of being wrong and having to change and admit our stance, we will actually run away from it. We will avoid it. And when we avoid it, we walk out pretending like we have peace. And so I emailed him back and I said, I definitely want to meet. I said, if nothing else, I want to have peace. I want to be able to talk through it. And if I can say what I need to say, then I can get up and I can walk out with peace whether you change your mind or not. But it will not be false peace. It's not going to be fake peace. I'm telling you right now as your pastor that it has to become a common thing for us 
to confront our problem, not to avoid it, not to run away from it. But listen to me. God is with you when you do it. He's walking with you. He's not asking you to step out and face it on your own. He wants to be with you. When you face the storm, he's in the boat. When you face the giant, he's in the battlefield. He's walking with you, but he knows that if you turn around and you avoid it, it's never going to go away. And there's going to be a day where you are going to finally have to confront that problem. And God says, let's confront it now. Let's fight it now. Let God handle it now, and we can truly find peace. True peace will never come through pretending what is wrong is right or ignoring it altogether. As a peacemaker, we love God, we love others, and we love ourselves too much to let false peace continue. As a peacemaker, you got to love God, other people, and yourself too much to just let that remain. We got to be willing to confront our problem. Number two is this. Number one, you confront your problem. Number two is you got to be able to surrender our preference. Surrender our preference. So number one, you are confronting your problem with the presence of God. You are letting God fight the battle, but you are there. Number two, you're surrendering your preference. I, I had this thought this week. Maybe, just maybe, my lack of peace isn't my problem. Maybe it's not from my pace. And maybe my lack of peace is not even because of other people. Maybe my lack of peace is my preference. It's the way I want it. It's because it's not the way I expected it to be. And what we do is we tend to kind of set this border almost of expectation and preference. And everything has to happen that way. Everything needs to go that way in our minds for us to have peace. In other words, I'll have peace when it's exactly the way I want it. I'll have peace when it goes the way I like it. It's the spouse that tells their spouse that they want peace, but what they really want is for them to change and be the way that they want, right? It's the individual that's on Facebook having an argument saying that they want peace, but what they really want is for everybody to see it the way they see it, right? It's the individual who says that they want to see peace on earth, but what they really want is for everybody to care about what they care about. It's this concept that you and I get into where we have established our preference, what we want, how we like it. And until it's that way, it's not peaceful. It doesn't matter how positive it is until it's that way. It's, it's just not peaceful. So watch this. When God says that you will have peace, what we hear is you will have it your way. You know what I mean? That, that as long as it's peaceful, it must be that God's saying it'll be my way. Uh, as you know, I don't know if you know this about you, you live anywhere from 30 minutes to 15 minutes away from the hottest city in America right now. Uh, Darla and I were on Pinterest looking for this bucket list thing for a city we were in, and there was an American bucket list, a bu bucket list for the United States of America, and the number two thing on the bucket list was to visit Nashville, Tennessee. 
is insane to me. We are that close to the party, you know, capital of the world or whatever it is. But when it becomes date night for Darla and I, I don't get very adventurous. And she loves adventure. So she's always like, let's go to Nashville. They got food and they got nightlife and they got this. And I'm like, can we just go to Murfreesboro and get like, you know, a burger? You know, like... Like that's, like, that's my level of excitement and adventure, you know what I mean? Like, let's go to a different Target, one we hadn't been to before. Adventure, you know? And, and, and she's always, she's always like, come on, let's do something. Let's go there. She'll go out with her friends and go somewhere. She'll see our friends doing something. She's like, let's do that. And I'm like, let's not, you know? Come up with an excuse. Well, our, we have kids. We can't have fun. You know, whatever, whatever the situation is. But, but then we go out of town. And when we go out of town, it's like a totally different Troy. We, we go to Cleveland this year. We went to D.C. And, like, I'm, I'm so adventurous. We're, like, going to all the new restaurants, and I'm walking downtown. I'm riding scooters, in which I flew over and almost died. <laughs> you know, I'm getting chased by snakes on Lake Erie. You know what I mean? Like, like all this adventure. And she's talking to me one day, and here's what she said. She said, what, what's the difference? She said, we go out of town, and you want to go to all these new restaurants, and you want to go downtown, and we're Ubering here and Uber. I wouldn't get an Uber at home to, to save your life. You know what I mean? Like, it ain't going to happen. And she's like, you've got this great adventure. What happens when we're at home? And I had this, like, real, you know, inward search. You know what I mean? Just, what, God, what is it about me? And, and here's what I came to the realization of, that when I'm here, I want my preference. <laughs> I, I want it my way. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay for parking. I think parking should be free. You know what I mean? If I got to pay to park, your food should be free. That's just how I feel about it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. So there's just things about it. And I told her, I said, but when we go out of town, I already know your expectation out of town. So I just surrender my preference. I arrive in Cleveland knowing nothing is going to go the way I want it to go. You know what I mean? And in that moment, there's freedom. <laughs> Listen to me. He's, he's the prince of peace. He's not the prince of your preference. That's important for us to understand. It's possible, it's very possible, y'all, that the, the second step to us really experiencing peace is to be able to surrender our preference. It's possible that the reason we can't grasp peace is because we want it our way. And as long as it's not our way, we're not going to really experience peace. Last week, I brought up Philippians 4 uh, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, regard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, right? <laughs> Sorry, it's one of my verses. <laughs> Such a powerful verse. And as I was prepping this sermon this week, God kept bringing the verse back to me, and I'm like, God, I already, I already used that verse last week. You can't use scripture twice in one, you know, it's a joke. Don't worry. <laughs> Y'all are like, can we not? But there was this word that shot out to me that I never thought. Of. It says, which transcends all understanding. I always thought it was like, it, it, it's wider than my thoughts, and it's higher than my thoughts. And I looked up the definition of transcend. Watch this. It means to break limits. I immediately went to a speed limit sign. All you lawbreakers out there, you know what I mean? Like, you, know, you, don't, even do, you don't even consider the speed limit. You know what I mean? You just go the speed of the traffic, you know? But they have this limit. It's on a sign, in case you've never seen it. It says speed limit, and it has some numbers. And they set the speed limit, and your goal is to go that speed limit, right? Watch this. This is, this is so transformational to me. We set this preference. We set this expectation 
of marriage, of relationship, of career, of dreams, of God. And if anything gets beyond that limit, we can't have peace. It has to fit in that limit. And what God is saying is that peace transcends your understanding. Peace breaks through the limits that you've set. You want this house with a picket fence and two dogs. It breaks through that for you to be able to experience peace. Because we say we want peace, but what we really say is we want it our way. And so we don't have peace because it's not our way. And yet God is saying if you would ever let it break through your way, you would actually experience peace. I got this revelation this week. And, and here's what it was. We're called to be peacemakers, not peacemakers. I got to spell it or you got to see it on the screen for it to make sense. We're called to be peace, P-E-A-C-E makers, not peace, P-I-E-C-E makers. We, we had this uh, V-Kids refresh a couple Saturdays ago here at the church. The, volu- the, the dream team for the V-Kids team came and there was a lot of vision. We're doing self-check-in for you guys. And all this V-Kid bucks. It's just an amazing vision. Jenny and Amber just doing a phenomenal job. By the way, V-Kids, we really need you on the team. All right, there we go. Um, and so we're meeting in here, and we're all in here, and Darla and I are in here with the team, and Jenny starts handing out these puzzle pieces for her illustration. And she hands me a puzzle piece, and y'all can tell it's of Elsa from Frozen. And she's like, that's you. And I was like, mm. We won't go there. Okay, and so I'm looking at the piece, and she's like, it's, it's you, that's you. And she's telling everybody, and then they send the board around, and everybody's putting them on the board, you know, and like, there goes me, and then there goes Darla, and there goes Miss Shannon, and like, everybody's putting their, their piece on, and I'm watching it, and, and all of a sudden, I just, I just had this revelation that we are a piece of the puzzle, right? And everybody's like, ooh, wow, deep, yeah. We think we are the designer and the maker of the puzzle. We think we make the pieces. We're just a piece. We think we designed the picture. So what's happening is we expect peace as long as it fits in our picture. But God's the one that makes the picture. We're just a piece. So it's this concept of you're never going to have peace if it has to be your way. Because it was never meant to be your way. But I will give you a little bit of excitement. God knows better than you. So whatever you think is your way and you think it's going to be great, guess what? God knows it better. If it didn't happen, listen, let me talk to you for a second. You liked somebody in high school and you wanted them to date them and you prayed for them and you asked God to let them date you and they dated somebody else. And if you saw them right now, right, right? I tell Donald, I'm like, show me off on Facebook, girl. Let all them Craigmont girls know what they missed out on. I'm like, fine wine, baby. Look better with age. Some of you right now, you're so glad that he didn't say yes. He's bald and a beer belly. Sorry if that offends you. Some of you guys, so glad she didn't say yes. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we think it has to be our way, but then to realize that God's way is better than our way and to be able to get into a place where I say, maybe, just maybe, in order for me to have real peace, God has to break through my preference. 
peace, well, y'all ain't going to like this, true peace may mean you letting go of that relationship. True peace may mean you finally walking away from that job. True peace may mean that you finally let go of that dream. Like sometimes true peace is buried inside our ability to break through our preference, break through our limits. We, we got to quit asking God for peace while refusing to let go of our way. And here's what God's saying, I want to give you peace so bad, but your hands are full. And if you'll let go of your way, I can really give you peace. Make sense? So step one is we got to be able to confront our problems and understand that God is with us when we confront our problems. Step two is to be able to let go of our preference. And here's the grace of God again, understanding that he has a better idea than we do. Everything that God ever asks us to do is with grace and love. It's always a positive thing. So confront your problems, number one. Surrender your preference, number two. Now, number three, I think, is the most important. And not only do I think it's the most important, I think it will actually help you with number one and number two. And here's what it is, and let me explain it. It's remember what you know. In order for you to have peace, you need to remember what you know. I, I think it's hard for us to have peace when we're surrounded by reason. Let me break that down for you. This week, I, I had interactions with two good friends of mine who um, are both struggling with some things. Both kind of have a health foundation, if you were to be honest, but, but they, in some way they kind of link back to the mind. And in talking with both of them, you know, being their pastor and being their friend, there's a moment where you kind of feel like you always want to be able to have the answer, you know, and one of my friends, we were praying for him, and, and people were saying some really nice things to him, very, very biblical truth, encouraging things, and I was just sitting beside him going like, I don't know what to say. Because sometimes it's really hard to have peace when you're surrounded by reason. You know what I mean? Like, like how do you tell somebody to have peace when they have all these reasons not to have peace? Like, when they literally could be like, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? And you're like, ah, Praise God. <laughs> you know, have peace, brother. You know, it's just kind of really hard when they just got all this stuff. And all week I'm processing this. And I'm like, God, what do I say to them? And then it moved into, God, what are you saying to me? Then it moved into, God, what do I say to our church? Because I don't think they're the only ones. Uh, Christine kind of alluded to this. I think everybody's in this room dealing with something that you're trying to have peace about, but you can't turn away from the obvious reason trying to have peace about your finances, but here's the facts. Trying to have peace about this relationship, but, but here's the facts. Trying to have peace about your children or having children or your job or losing your job, but, but hey, here, here's the facts. And it's really interesting about being a Christ follower because I don't think we get taught this a lot. It's like, how do I have faith and peace when I'm actually looking at facts? I'm tired of a faith where people get up and go, you just need to have faith. But what does that mean? Because I'm dealing with all these facts. And God brought me back to the puzzle. I started thinking about those of you that are puzzle people. Let's just talk about the phenomenon of a puzzle for a second. Can I just, can I just talk about it for a second? We had a picture. It was finished. It was together. We chose then to chop it up in design. Break it into a thousand pieces. Put it in a bag, 
and then we paid money to volunteer to put it back together for them. Anybody else see a problem with that? I could do a whole sermon about how that's life, but y'all don't get me started on that, okay? But I started thinking about those of you that are puzzle people. Might only be a few of you, puzzle folks. You, you open the box, and you, this is the most anxious-filled part of a puzzle. You pull out the bag, and there's a thousand pieces in this bag, and you open this bag, and you dump it out, and it's just like, that's how I felt. Just like, what? Y- y- y'all ever done that before? You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that first moment? The Lord told me, it's like life. All of these reasons to not have peace. All of these reasons to not have faith. Just on the table. Just there it is. When I'm starting a puzzle, I always say this under my breath. Where do I even start? When we're trying to have peace in our culture today, what do we often say? Where do I even start? I got this, 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 this, this. Where do I even start? Now let me see who in this room is a real puzzle doer. You ready? When it comes time to put a puzzle together and you've poured out a thousand pieces on the table, the very first thing you start doing is what? I don't know what y'all said, but here's what I think. It just sounded like, <laughs> but here's what I think you said because I'm operating in the Holy Spirit. You find the Ed. Thank you, Miss Norma. She said, "This Troy, this, here it is. We'll do sign language. We look for the borders, right? I, I think we got a picture. Do we have that picture of a, a puzzle I got? I put I put together this border just so I could show y'all. Do we have that for you? Look at that. It's what you do with a puzzle. Am I right, Emily? Am I right? She is Queen Puzzle. We call her QP for short." We're going to now. You you put the border together. And I don't know why, but for some reason, once you frame it, now it's a little bit easier to do, right? Now you kind of, I got some momentum. Let's go. Let's handle it. You went from, I don't even know where to start, to, okay, now I got some momentum. And I'm, I'm, I mean, the Lord is just overwhelming my thought patterns with this. What do you do first, Troy? What do you do first? I put the edges together. I put the, I, I have a puzzle app on my phone. I told you I'm 60 years old. Puzzle app. Y'all on TikTok, I'm putting puzzles together. All right? That's why I'm saved. <laughs> I'm so off of the Holy Spirit. I'm, y'all may not come back to church next week. So, but I, I start with the border. I start with the border. And so I'm like, Lord, God, what does this even have to do with anything? And I'm studying Philippians. It's Paul's church to the, or, or letter to the church in Philippi. I'm reading Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and 7 ends, and you get to Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Put that up there for me for a second. Watch this, all right? He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. For whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Watch this. And the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch it? Because unless you're thinking about this concept of the borders of a puzzle, you'll miss it. Now, thank you, Miss Norma, for prophecy in advance because this is the border of a puzzle, okay? In case anybody's never seen a puzzle before, it's what it would kind of look like. And if you don't already have God teaching you this, 
then you read Philippians 4, 8 through 9, and you miss it. So go ahead and put that back up there. Leave it up there, because I want y'all to see this, all right? Turn around, I'll see it like y'all are seeing it. Throw it up there for me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. That's what you think I'm using. So you're like, yeah, let's think about those things. No, because we don't even know what's true anymore. So let's not do that. All right, here we go. Watch this. Whatever you have learned, whatever you have received, if I didn't spell it right, get over it, whatever you have heard, and whatever you have seen. Paul is giving us borders in this verse. Whatever you have learned, you know what this is? It's revelation. It's you coming to church and reading your Bible and learning about God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. Whatever you've heard. Well, what have I heard? You've heard the testimonies of the power of God. Well, what have I received? Well, you've received grace. And what have I seen? You've seen miracles. So let's go back for a second. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey, take whatever you've learned, whatever revelation you've got from the Word of God, take whatever you've seen, the miracles you've seen God do in your life, Take whatever you've received, the grace and the mercy of Jesus, and take whatever you've heard, which is testimonies. Take those things and build a border. Let those be the things that frame out your faith. And when you're in a moment where you don't have peace, because everything, like, I, I, I got a thousand pieces. <laughs> what do I do with this, God? I got a, you know, Jay-Z once said I got 99 problems. You know what I'm talking about? I got a thousand problems, God. Where do I start? Jesus would have said, but peace ain't one. I'm going back to Memphis. That's so powerful. Where, where do I start? Where do I start? How do I have peace when my life is a broken mess? Because what the Bible said is that it was all, it, oh, don't get me going. It was already started, right? It was already a great picture. And then sin broke it, and then we were given it, and we thought we had to put it together. But grace put it together. Jesus put it together. All we have to do is surround ourselves with what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've already received. We surround us with it. And when you surround yourself with it, and let's be honest, the borders don't make the puzzle any easier. It just makes you think it is. Listen to me. It doesn't make any of your problems go away, but it moves you to a perspective that understands it's God's and not mine. That it's grace and mercy and love and faithfulness and provision because God did it God said it, I heard it, I received it, and because of all of this, now I can take these pieces a little bit easier. So I came straight from God's mouth to tell you this. If you're in a situation right now and you don't know how to have peace, you need to frame it. 
You need to put your, if you got your nose, draw a little square. Draw a little square in your nose. Right now you should be like, baby, I think we should start taking notes at Victory Church. You should, okay? Draw a little square, all right? Draw a little square. And whatever it is, write it in the middle of the square. Whatever it is, sickness, stress, anxiety, relationship, you know, whatever it is. Put it, and then I want you to write above it what you've learned. Right beside it what you've heard. Right beside it what you've received. Talk about what you've seen. And when your focus is on those things, I promise you, as you step back, it's just gonna look different. It's how you have peace. It's how you can be both puzzled and peaceful. I don't know what's going on and I don't know how to deal with it, but I got peace. How do you have peace? Because I framed it. I framed it. With what I know God's done, what I know he's doing, and what I know he's going to do. When our peace isn't from the world, then the world cannot take it away. Right? When my peace is built on what I've learned, received, heard, and seen, then it doesn't matter what you say. It's framed differently. Would you stand with me for a moment, man? I want to invite you up. I want to pray for you. We're going to have a couple prayer members down front. I always like to kind of pray a gen generic prayer over you for peace. If you're in this place and you, you really need personal prayer, don't come into this place and leave without somebody agreeing with you. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it when somebody's just able to grab hands with you and pray through what you're going through. Be able to pray with you what you've learned. Pray with you what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen. And I know I'm an excited preacher. I always tend to say that I can preach God's word, but I can't change your life. Jesus can. But in all of this excitement, that's, that's a practical lesson I just gave you. So take it home and work on it. Really do the exercise. It's not about a sermon. It's about who God really is. And that he has done all of those things to be able to give you peace in your situation. So Father, I pray right now for every person in this room. And I know enough about our church to know that you've got all kinds of different situations different struggles. You got people trying to make decisions right now. People struggling financially, some trying to figure out a job, lost a job. New relationships, old relationships, trying to have kids, praying they can have kids, figuring out whether they'll be married, how to, how to even operate a wedding. Trying to understand grace. Trying to walk out of legalism. Whatever the peace situation is, Father, I pray right now that you would give them the ability Give them the grace and the mercy and the vision to be able to see those things around their problem, that they would frame it with the Spirit of God. I pray for every person in this room that needs a special touch, that you would lead them down so that they could be prayed with. Any person in this room who received Jesus as your personal Savior, the Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you can be saved. Father, I pray that if somebody in here today wants to give their heart to you, that not only would they pray that prayer, but they would come and let us know so that we could walk through with them. 
as I always say, I love to preach your word, but I can't change a life. And so right now, do what only you can do. You are the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. Somebody right now needs to hear you're the way maker. You can't make a way, but he can. You're the miracle worker. You can't work a miracle, but he can. He's the promise keeper. Hallelujah. He's doing that right now. Father, we give you all of our attention, all of our praise, all of our glory to you, Father. And we ask for peace. We pray you'd have your way in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.